Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. On this episode, I'm going to be talking with Tony Treach. Tony's from Michigan, but he spends a whole bunch of time every season hunting elk, mule deer, and whitetails out west. Something that I thought was really interesting about what Tony does is he spends a whole bunch of time scouting the areas that he plans on hunting before the season. A lot of times he's got a pretty good idea of what's going on in those areas before the season even starts, and he also targets the biggest bulls and bucks that he can find. I've been following Tony for quite a while on Instagram, and I can just tell that he's got super aggressive tactics, so I was excited to talk to him and try to learn more about his strategy. That way, I could apply some of his tactics to my own strategy this fall. So before we get into the podcast, I wanted to let you guys know that the new Bear THP Adapt is available on beararchery.com. In the last couple episodes, I've been hinting that we have something in the works with Bear. Well, it's finally here. The Adapt Bow is something that we've been working on with Bear for a long time. We're really excited about it, and we've all got our bows set up now, and they're shooting great. I've been shooting mine, getting ready for pronghorn season, even out to like 80, 90 yards, and it's just shooting great. I'm shooting great groups, feeling really confident, the draw is super smooth, the bow's lightweight, and it's a 32-inch axle-to-axle bow, which is perfect for my style of hunting. So if you guys have any interest in checking that bow out, or any other bear bow for that matter, we can help save you 10% off of all bear equipment if you use the code THP10. Also, we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media's censorship. Go Wild was built by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild's a free social media community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So visit downloadgowild.com to get started. All right, guys, let's get Tony on the line and talk bulls and bucks. Well, thanks for the invite, man. Yeah, no problem. My buddy of mine was like, hey, man, you should have this guy on. And then I started following you on Instagram. And I've been following you for probably a couple of years now. I was just been waiting for the right time. And I figured now is the right time. Yeah, no, it's got this time of the year. I'm, I'm you know, drawers are coming back out, and I'm. This is like the anxiety months, you know. You, oh. I mean, all these big plans and <laughs> yeah. planning, man. That's the that's the thing for me is it's like trying to figure out and what you're gonna do and where you're gonna fit this in, and then it's all really dependent on you know if you pull any tags. And then if uh-huh. not, then you got to adjust and do the over-the-counter stuff, which is not a problem really, but it just yep. is, you know, trying to trying to make a plan when you almost can't even make the plan. <laughs> the ever-evolving game, it, it seems to change more and more in recent years than ever before. Oh, yeah, yeah. I And I'm actually pretty new to it. I, I've always just done whitetail over-the-counter. Um, I grew up in Ohio, and then I moved to Iowa, and I was an Iowa resident for – five years and then I just recently um became a Colorado resident in 2021 I believe is when I I guess I officially became a resident in 2020 I wasn't really a resident anywhere I was kind of in between and <laughs> didn't feel confident trying to you know say where I was from at the time so yeah, great. but yeah <clears throat> tell me a little bit about like 
your background and then your current hunting situation? Sure. So, uh, grew up hunting, but, uh, as everybody knows in Michigan, it's like, you know, we shoot everything with three inches on one side and, and, the, and that's it. And that's what I grew up doing. I mean, just laying down does and little bucks. And it wasn't until I was, I had already started my business. So I was probably about 25 years old. And I'm like, uh, a buddy of mine's like, we need to get out of state and try some you know different stuff. I got these friends in Illinois. Holy cow. I mean, literally in a week, we saw more mature bucks than I saw my entire life in Michigan. <laughs> and it might have only been four. Mm-hmm. and that was enough and it's like opened my eyes and then you know for the next 10 years i traveled around illinois iowa when i could get a tag uh ohio um eventually kansas and that's kind of what opened my eyes to the the, the mule deer in the western thing and, and the fact that there was no trees there and the game had to change but but for but for a decade i mean i i, I would leave i'd kind of do the same, a miniature version of what i do now i'd leave uh you know, third, second, third week of October, I don't come home till maybe Thanksgiving. So I was gone just sleeping and, you know, bouncing from this farmer's barn to this farmer's barn. And just, you know, I had a trailer full of tree stands and sticks. And, you know, I look at what the white tail guys now have like these super lightweight carbon sticks and everything. It's like, what? I mean, I remember lugging like wow. 50 pounds of sticks just to get up 20 feet. Uh, but in 2013, I killed a 165 inch buck in Illinois. And that was the last deer I shot out of a tree stand. Uh, 2012 or 2013, one of the two. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably about 2010 or, or nine uh, that we, well, a couple years before that, we got, I got invited to Kansas and we rifle hunted the first couple of years just because the guys that I was uh, invited with, uh, that's what they did. I mean, we get there and there's no trees. It's like, what the heck are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the, and the rancher who's showing us all the property he owns or has lease is taking us around. And I'm in the pasture seeing my place truck going, I don't know where we're going to hunt. Like, <laughs> I don't think there's any deer here. And as it got towards twilight, there's deer crossing everywhere on the point. Like, big ones. Like, what is going on? We're not going to know where to sit. So it took us probably, by the end of that week, we kind of realized that they aren't in the little creek bottoms all that much. Because there was a few creek bottoms out here in creeks, but they were out in the open. Yep. in the grass and in the weeds and just a little bit of change in topography or maybe a little a drainage uh, that you know it has caused over erosion over time and they're in the banks of that and uh, man and seeing the mule deer there i mean i started applying all of the western states and uh you know fast forward today the the only real whitetail hunting i do anymore is in kansas and it's completely evolved into something new that is, resembles nothing what I did, uh, you know, 15 years ago in the, in the Midwest. And the majority of my time is spent chasing whatever tags I draw in, in Colorado, Montana, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona, Idaho, wherever, you know, in the, in the mountains where I can, uh, can, can, can get a tag. And, and the typical year for me starts out at, uh, you know, I, I'm usually leaving around the 1st of August, maybe a little bit before, uh, and I don't get home until, Typically, the end of October, just long enough to process, you know, a bunch of, you know, thaw out three freezers full of meat and process all the, the game that I've killed along the way and then get it stashed away, rinse and repeat with the gear and head to the plains of Nebraska, Kansas, eastern Montana and, and do the spot and decoy thing with the whitetails and or meat. So that's, and it, I have a very, very understanding wife uh, <laughs> that I vetted out for three years before 
you know, we, we made it official and she, uh, she gets it. She knows this is my passion. She knew that when she met me and, um, uh, she even volunteered to like put in the prenup that I'd get three months a year of this. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's important because, I mean, obviously it, it, it sounds pretty similar to what we do, you know, just travel around as much as possible in the hunting season. And yeah, if you don't have somebody that supports you, it makes it a little bit challenging because, uh-huh. I mean, you're just a ghost for, half, you know, a good part of the year. Yep. Yeah, no, you have to have everything right at home before you leave. Not only with the wife, but with the kid. You know, the well, I don't have kids, but like my employees and you know, and, and uh, customers and everything's got to be lined up. Like right, like right now, I'm like five weeks out from leaving, and I'm already like working on like every time I see the guys, you know, tell them what I'm going to need when I'm out. You know, because I come out every two weeks to do you know their payroll, and I come out every two or every month to do it invoices for my customers and. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it's it's about go time. <laughs> yeah, and you have a construction business of some sort, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. Now I have a construction business where uh, I work for other builders. I'm a licensed builder in Michigan, but I instead of working for homeowners, which everybody knows, you know, well maybe not everybody knows, but if in the, everybody in the construction trades knows, you know, the, the big cog that kind of like churns, you know, that that. that disrupts everything and it's a pain in the butt is actually us, the homeowners, and we're all homeowners for somebody else. Um, so what I do is I come in and I help other builders. And my guys, when I'm gone, literally they just integrate with their guys. Uh, they plug and play them how they want, and they know they have my permission to do that. Everybody gets along. It's it's literally like – and this was on this was by design. Like in my 20s, even before that, when I when I started, in, you know, I, I went to college, didn't want – I graduated college, didn't want anything to do with – sitting in an office um my whole life i'd never had a job inside i, I worked uh, on the charter boats in college uh, in lake michigan and i trimmed christmas trees and i skied for a you know uh, a ski race and coached and then it's like i want to do something outside it's kind of i can't be locked inside so i went into carpentry um right away the guy that i uh my master carpenter i learned for him you know he's like well in november you have to find something to do because i'm not working you know and, and all my customers know it and i'm like we can just do that. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm good. I can. I, and he did. He'd leave for like three weeks. And I thought that was a huge deal. And now I look back at him like three weeks. I'm usually just getting done my first or second tag at that point. Yeah. But it's, it's all worked out. That's awesome to hear. I, I think there's so many different ways you can go about doing it. And, you know, I talk to people all the time, like in travels where, you know, somebody's got a situation similar to yours. I've talked to guys that are fishing guides only in the summer months and the dead of winter months and they deer and turkey hunt all the time or talk to guys that, um, will literally, I talked to this guy in Iowa one time going in, he pulled in the same spot that we were getting ready to go into. And he goes, he starts talking to us and he's like, yeah, man, you know, I'm not married anymore. My kids are in college. He's like, I quit my job every every fall he's like literally i just tell the boss like hey i'm going hunting <laughs> you know it's like wow. he's like i drive this beater car i don't have a lot of money but you know i just want to hunt and that's all i want to do and i think that uh you know one of one of my goals in life is to, to to help people find their way of doing it because i can't imagine not doing it at this point you know traveling <clears throat> sim, you know similar to what you do it's like i have yeah. to have to do it i'm curious were you always sure that you were going to end up hunting the mountains one day? Is that something that you, you were, were interested in or that just kind of happened in the series of events? The mountains always had a draw. They always had a draw to me just because uh, I grew up ski racing. Yeah. And 
I mean, I'd, I'd go out west of the mountain, you know, in the, in the winter, just like, why, why do I live? In, why do I live in Michigan? This is a, <laughs> a joke. I need to be out here. And I actually had uh, uh, ski geek nerd stuff. Like most of your viewers probably won't know anything about this, but before I was 21 years old, I actually had my level three PSI certification. So it's just pretty like it's as high as you can go. And I had jobs lined up and uh, my mother's health was never good. She ended up being a double lung transplant uh, recipient. And uh, during that time, uh, it just kind of put it like, nope, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be mm-hmm. at home and I'm not going anywhere. And looking back, I'm happy that happened. I mean, you know, I, I was happy to be there for my mother. Yeah. Um, but uh, the business that I've created in this weird little niche, um, I'm sure I could recreate it somewhere else. But I mean, it's taken me 22 years in business to, to get this freedom that I have. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'm sure it wouldn't have started out right away if I was out west skiing because I would have <laughs> fell in love with that. I, would have been, I probably would have been a fly fish guy, you know, because I was, I was a fishing guy here. Yeah. So I probably would have ended up, you know, yeah, fishing in the summer, skiing in the winters, making like, you know, 40 grand a year and <laughs> living out of my truck. Exactly. So <laughs> things have worked out pretty well. Yeah. And yeah, but that, 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 that time thing is, is key. Um, it's absolutely, I, I just spoke at a, a summit, uh, the Western Hunting Summit last week, and there was a bunch of young guys in there. Like it was kind of a mix of of ages, but you know, I, I took those younger guys aside, and I'm like, "I'm here because I have a lot of time, and I've built that on purpose." And you have to be intentional with that. It doesn't matter if you're if you're hammering a nail, or if you're an attorney, uh, or, or what. It doesn't matter. You just have to create a business and be your own boss. And I think that's the number one thing. I mean, and we obviously the whole world can't be their own boss. We need we need chiefs and Indians, but um, these people that are taking the time to try to, to try to figure out how to do this, get self-employed, figure out what you're really good at and make a business that you don't have to micromanage. It. You don't have to stand over top of it 24 hours a day, make it so it runs on its own, whether it's selling widgets, building homes, uh, whatever it can be anything mm-hmm. just, you know, just kind of gotta get creative. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's a, that's a good advice for anybody. I think it's, and also, if you do, you know, what you're good at or what you like to do, you know, it, it, that also helps things. It makes it so that it's not as much work. It's, you know, you're excited Absolutely. to go. You can go work hard at it. And then, you know, working hard at it doesn't feel like such a burden, you know. No. So you said, you said, and I've heard you say, I listened, so I listened to um, the podcast you did with Bo Martonic. I, I'm mm-hmm. buddies with Bo. I like listening to his stuff. And I, you said the same thing in just now you haven't killed a deer out of a tree stand in years and i I haven't either so i've quit whitetail hunting in a tree stand like i don't like doing Mm -hmm. it so what what is it about that that draws you to um or i guess what is it about hunting off the ground that you like and what keeps you doing that versus going back into the tree stand oh man well there's probably several reasons i don't want to ever climb back up the tree stand i fell out of one in ohio um, actually set up a stand with a buddy one, uh, probably in about 2009. Uh, not that I'm afraid of heights. I mean, I literally climb up on roofs and, and trusses every day you know, all the time. It's, um, I'm very good with heights, but just sitting there all day. I'm not, I'm not, patience is probably my week, biggest weakness. Um, it always was. When I was a little kid, my dad would sit me in a tree stand where he knew I'd get down and wander around and push deer towards him. He would literally strategically put me in place to get out of that because he knew I'd get in this stand, you know? Um, and, but I, you know, growing up in the, you know, in the, in the Midwest and doing that, like, you know, during my twenties and early thirties, 
in the Midwest. I mean, I just, I mean, you know, it's like November, come October 28th, you're in the tree stand before sunup and you don't get out until after sundown for however many days it takes. Sometimes it's 20, 30 days in a row. It's brutal. Yeah. I'd rather climb 15 miles up in the mountains and, you know, burn, you know, like half of my body away doing it than, than sit in those tree stands. And it's just, it, I mean, I understand how it can be so productive and there's, in certain states, you don't have an option. Like that's mm-hmm. if you want to kill a mature buck, that's what you're going to have to do. I just I choose now. That's why I now have like seven or eight points in Iowa. It's like I'm not going back unless I have this giant hole in my schedule, and I just don't see that happening. Like yes, yeah. I'm probably, probably going to die with those points. <laughs> um, but there, there's definitely a draw to the way I'm doing it now. The uh, and it's not just not being in a tree stand. Like it had, it is its own thing. Um, and it, it, and it took a couple of years to develop. So like I said, the first couple of years down in Kansas, and this is where it kind of all started, um, was, was a rifle. And then my buddies stopped coming down. They, you know, they all got kids and, and this, whatever family happens, uh, their wives aren't as kind as mine. And they just, they were not allowed to come down anymore for whatever reason. And I'm like, I, in Kansas and during the rifle, Kansas during the, the archery is completely different animal. And, you know, I'm knocking on doors during a rifle and they're like, well, we've got friends, family coming in, you know, but they'll be gone a couple days to step back. And then you get to talk to them and it's like, no one archery hunts. So I start with the archery hunt. Plus, it's the only way you can get a, a mule deer stamp uh, is through the, the archery or muzzleloader. <clears throat> Very first year, I thought, you know, because by that time, I'm like, you know, I know I'm, we're, I'm hunting the deer in the grass and in the weeds, you know, just any type of structure or advantage point a little knoll and you know like a glassy knot in kansas is literally like a 10 foot change in elevation whereas okay. like out in the mountains it's like you know 2000 feet of elevation but that can make all the difference so i'm like i'm taking a decoy and i had this old everybody's probably seen it the old uh, montana decoy company it's like it's a full silhouette of a dog. and i had the, i also had the elk I grabbed the wrong legs. I grabbed the elk legs. In hindsight, it probably would have worked just fine because it should be elevated three feet off the ground. But I thought it was funny. I'm like, oh, God. set up the first time and doing a rattling sequence. Nothing came in. Took a picture of it. This was, you know, right at the beginning of Instagram or maybe Facebook. I forget. I posted it and I got a response from a guy by the name of Garrett Rowe. Yep. And Garrett literally is like, I think you're in my neck of the woods. That looks pretty familiar, you know, topography. I'm like, yeah, I'm Western Kansas. He's like, uh, I own a decoy company. I'd love to set you up with my decoy. And um, maybe this wasn't the first year. It was probably like a, a few years down the road after. I've killed a couple bucks uh, just spotting and stalking them. And uh, met with Garrett and literally like on the side of a road in an intersection, undisclosed area. Like, And he's <laughs> helped me screw the, the bracket on, behind my, uh, my my stabilizer. And uh, we had the decoy. And, he, and he's like, all right, be prepared. If a buck, mature buck sees this you're probably going to have to shoot him in the frontal or he might like turn broadside and do that pose and they kind of like strut towards you sideways. But a lot of times they're just coming right at you <laughs> that next morning. And it's a long, I could tell you the story of that buck too, but it was 185 inch white tail. I shot at 20 yards and he was about to take that decoy off the boat. There was two other, there was two other bucks watching this happen. I walked past 140 inch deer, like a very, like he wasn't getting any bigger type eight point. Saw another one ahead that I thought was the one that I, I moved down to this bottom for, and I'm watching him, I'm rattling at him, and he's you know he's 170 inch deer and he's 200 yards away, 300 yards away, looking at me like I'm not going back there. And I think it was they didn't want to come in because they knew they'd probably get their ass kicked. Yeah, right. 
And I just turned around just in time to be like, oh my God, he's, he was right here in this bottom right behind me. And he's just, just come like, I'm, like everybody sees the moose when they're, when they're in the full rut and their heads swaying back and forth. I mean, if I hadn't turned around, he's seeing, he's looking right at that decoy on my bow. He's probably going to take it out of my hand and run off with my bow in his rack. Um, <laughs> but I turn around and it's just, it was the, it, it solved the problem for me. So out there the year, the previous year, <clears throat> I had shot a great buck, but I had to, it took a lot of work. And I was after two of them, uh, you know, they're both 170, one was over 200. Uh, they ended up killing the 200 in the, in the rifle season. But I got within 15 yards of that 200-inch buck twice, uh, three times actually, twice unintentionally, once when I was tracking him. Uh, I hit him in the shoulder blade, and it got like, that was the last year I shot Spandles. Um, got like an inch of penetration, whatever. He, he, he was fine a couple days later, but I was getting – 15 yards from him and I still didn't have a shot because he sta- he'd stand up in his weeds. It's like, I got nothing. Mm-hmm. And I needed something to either pull him to an opening or bring him closer. And the decoy sense that it's like, if I can find a bedded deer and they locked down a buck, mature buck with a doe, it's over. Like if, if they're cruising alone, it's kind of a crapshoot because they don't have anything to protect. Right. But if, Oh my God, if they've got a doe on lockdown on property. You can hunt and you can sneak in close within that that zone where he's got to decide is, is he going to fight or is he going to run and show him that decoy or he stands up to stretch he, that decoy is only 15 yards away they turn into a puff ball and just <laughs> i mean it's like i'm i'm gonna come kick your ass oh, yeah. and it is so much and literally I've, I've stood up in four foot tall grass with that silly little decoy that doesn't cover me right and they they don't care it's like once they think you're a deer it's it's just it, it's over yeah. it's the most uh and that that's that charge there when you know when, when a deer is like coming at you like a grizzly you know he's oh, like yeah. i'm coming to take you out oh he's coming <laughs> to kill you right it's yeah. like he's gonna try to kill you it's, it is it's so crazy it, it's funny that you say that and it, it, that boosts my confidence because i have one of those decoys of garrett's and i have had we've we've had them now for years i don't think a single one of us have, has ever actually committed the final little bit i and, and i'll tell you a quick story i was hunting in iowa in 2019 this is the last year i was a resident and i was getting up on this river bank and a couple different spots where there was ridges that kind of pitched down into this river you get a little bit of elevation and the grass was so tall well actually that that particular year the grass was not quite tall enough for the deer to bed down in it and hide completely it was like they're wide open so every time they'd stand up if you couldn't see them bedded as soon as they'd stand up it's like oh yeah right there they are and then even if they bedded back down you'd see their antlers sticking up well three days in a row i made stalks on bucks and on the third day i ended up um, spotting a buck when he stood up he bedded down could see him and his doe and they were up against a little slough well we took the inside of the river in as close as we could and then used a little creek channel to get the last little you know 20 30 yards closer mm-hmm. and i slid my butt up on that bank just and I, I actually had the damn decoy with me and i dropped it because i was like oh, i can get close enough and I, and i and i did get close enough but what ended up happening was i and i, I just should have just let, kept the decoy on because it would have made this whole situation even better so mm-hmm. I slide my butt up on the bank, and I get up to a point where I can see, just barely see his eye. I'm to- and I had ranged him, and I was 28 yards away. 
And I was like, he's going to see me at some point, but he's not going to know what I am. And he's going to probably think I'm another buck. And sure enough, he kind of gives me that, you know, I see his eye look towards me and then he quick double takes and then he stands right up and he immediately just does that (laughs) puffs up, you know, and I'm just like, he thinks I'm another deer. So I'm good. And I drew, I got drawn right as he was standing and he just slowly kind of walked towards me and long story short, I was, I was not using, now I use a single bevel broadhead and I would take this shot likely now, but he was just ever so slightly quartering to me and I felt like I was going to have to push it too close to the shoulder mm. and, I, and I waited and I waited till he was broadside. Well, by the time he made it, it broadside, he had walked a decent bit closer and I shot it. I just aimed too high. I'd aimed more like he was at that original range when he probably had walked another five plus yards closer. And I just barely hit him a little bit too high. And fast forward a couple of months and buddy of mine who um, also makes videos for the hunting public, he shot him with a muzzleloader. So it was just a bit too high. But my story is, is I didn't commit to using the decoy and I should have, because I guarantee it would have made him just come you know charging in so if nothing else it provides extra time on a spot and stalk hunt at that moment when they stand up Mm -hmm. if nothing else i mean they stand up they're like huh where'd that buck come from (laughs) and and, and literally you don't have to like hide your draw like and and i don't i don't you know it has to be pretty calm for me to have it on my bow when i take the shot usually i'll move them with it on my bow just to cover me they if you know they they look over and i just hunker down with it a lot of times they but once I get in place, I usually put it on the stake in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, Garrett makes them, but I also made some custom stakes. They're like three foot tall to get above the grass. Yeah, and then I just hunker down behind that thing, and it's it's amazing. Yeah, it it, it, it provides a shot that uh, when otherwise you know, you've got seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I was that was one of the things that I was going to ask you about. Do you do you ever still when stalking whitetail specifically? Do you ever still just go for the straight stalk or would you prefer to use that decoy every time now? Uh, you know, the only type of situation that I probably wouldn't use a decoy is if they're in a, uh, and I'll still have it with me. Um, if they're in a, uh, like a wash or a coolie or something where you know, they're bedded in the shade of a, um, of a bank mm-hmm. and you're coming from above, mm-hmm. um, something like that. I might set the decoy up back behind and wait for them to stand up and, and feed out into range. I'm, I'm, you know, the last thing I want to do is peer over the edge, uh, unless I've got a good little window, but then I'm not going to use the decoy and then it's going to shoot them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it pretty much, you know, in the grass and like you said, when, when they're better in that brush, if you look out across that field of three foot sunflowers, you know, you can't see them, but once they stand up and then they like go back down, what's well, like, well, yeah, his antlers are right there. You know, you can <laughs> see the top of the antlers. So it's just as simple as moving into position, setting up the decoy. So when he does sta- see it, when he stands, he will see it. And that's, you know, it's, it doesn't hurt anything. Um, with, uh, with a buck that doesn't have a doe, um, which normally for me, you know, all my decoying time is in the rut. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't spend much time without it. Uh, I, I, I literally hope to find a buck on lockdown in a goofy ass place where there's no other. Deal. Yeah. Um, maybe there's another little buck that keeps running in and trying to sniff her. And it only, if, if for no, no other reason that, that big buck gives up, 
chases them off, goes back and beds down. So if I'm one of the weeds and I lose track of them, that little buck will kind of give me like, a, oh yeah, they're over there. Yeah. And I can just keep pin, you know, hone right into the, to where I'm, uh, I'm tight. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, I, I don't, I can only think of a couple situations where I would try to use it during the run. Yeah. This provides shots. Mm-hmm. I think that like what you said about the lockdown, I think that's something that is, is, is only something you ever hear from guys that like to hunt in the same style that you and I do. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so funny to hear people talk about like like with a frowny face, like, "Oh man, it's locked down." You know, we're not seeing. It's like, dude, what? It's like if bucks are locked down. It's like, I mean, even if I'm in a timber situation and I think bucks are locked down, that makes me be even more aggressive because if I bump him and I see that he's with a doe, that shuffles the deck again. Where it's like, well, if I didn't mm-hmm. know he was there. And he bumps, and especially if they split or something. I mean, we've seen that too, where we'll bump a buck with a doe. Buck goes one way, doe goes another. And then 15 minutes, the buck's right back in that same spot looking. So it's like, it just opens up so many doors. Now, if you're stationary and you're sitting in one spot, I mean, it's only good if they're locked down right where you're at. So it it is interesting to hear. It's the one consistent thing that you hear from guys that like to hunt whitetails on the ground is, I want to hunt them during a lockdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, they just become more visible. You know, I, yeah. my last year in Iowa, I had uh, the two previous years that I, I, I went down there shed hunting on my friend's property, and I I found a match set one first year and then a single the next set of just a giant. I mean, you know, 175 inch, but it's, you know, he's got like 46 inches of mass. He's just like, you hold on to his sheds and they weigh like seven pounds. The two of them <laughs> oh my God. And I had so I saw all kinds of pictures and show cameras. I've got pictures of them. Finally drew the tag. I saw him three times in like three and a half weeks. Uh, twice he was bedded in doofiest spots out in the open, and I was moving into stands. And you know, and back then it's like I'm, I'm just walking along this fence line. Why would I be careful? It's just it's just two and a half foot grass, and he's laying right there on the fence out in the open. And the last time I saw him. He had a, a, a doe on lockdown, and he's 250 yards out of this field just looking at me, and, and, I'm, and I, was, I, was, I was driving my truck by, and I was like, oh, my God, that's him. And, you know, I get the glass, I'm like, oh, I can't do anything about this. Meanwhile, there's, like, the the ground is all terraced up. Yeah. All you would have to do is crawl out there, get, you know, quarter and wind to him, stick that decoy up there. He's going to come try to tear it out of the ground. Yeah. And I, I hadn't. Yeah, he would have been mine if I was today. Isn't it funny too how like your mentality starts to shift and and you look back on those past experiences and you're like, man, why wasn't I aggressive here? Or, you know, I wasn't wasn't aggressive enough there. And and just looking back on my experiences, I started hunting off the ground, dabbling in it in 2016. I don't know if you're familiar or not, but I started watching Whitetail Adrenaline. They make they make DVDs and. I I became obsessed in in the I think it was probably the winter of 2015 and I'm like I got to do that like whatever they're doing I got to figure out how to do it so I start dabbling in 2016 it, but then once the rut started coming around I kind of went back to my old ways and I got in the tree stand and I'm shooting a buck out of a tree stand in 16 but then in 17 um, I started hunting with my buddy Jake and and that's when I felt like things really started. Um, we started getting more serious about it just because I felt like we both had confidence in it and we ended up shooting the first one together off the ground in 2017 and just 
like the things we were doing then compared to what we're doing now, the things that we were careful about then that we're not careful about now, you know, it's so much yeah. different. I mean, to the point where, you know, there's times where we're so aggressive that we're trying to kick up a buck. You know, yeah. we're almost trying to just get a visual on one yeah. because it's that that's the starting. You know, if you're stalking stuff, you have to know where one's at or yep. you're you you. It, it certainly helps. You know, you can obviously be still hunting around and I enjoy doing that, too. But, you know, once you get that visual, then it's game on. So it's funny yeah. to look back on times where you saw a deer doing something like the situation you just said and you look back and you're like why you know why did i think i was out of the game there it's like i, I was yeah. completely in the game there that's exactly what i dream of now you know uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so yeah lessons learned yeah for sure i want to ask about elk hunting i know mm -hmm. um you do a fair amount of that and mm -hmm. that's probably the thing that I've gotten into the most in the last few years since becoming a Colorado resident. I hunted them for the first time before I was a resident. Um, and then I've hunted them every year since. So 2019, 2020, and 2021. And hunted or filmed them, I guess. So hunted and filmed my buddies. The one thing I, I notice that I've seen you talk about in posts on Instagram and stuff is, um, and just just seeing kind of your style in general is you're doing more like spot and stock maybe it appears mm -hmm. and less calling which yeah. interests me just kind of uh overall strategy on that um interests me in general so talk a little bit about your elk style yeah so the first year that i ever uh hunted colorado uh the target was mule deer and in the high country, you know, the velvet bucks, the big, beautiful green bases full of flowers. I mean, it literally is more beautiful than any picture you've ever seen to everybody out there listening. Because the reason is because we can't share the best pictures because then you'd know where we're hunting. Because yeah. all of these peaks are very distinguishable. But I mean, I come home with this, like, it's just, it's just the most beautiful place in the world. So while I was there, I'm like, I'm going to pick up an over-the-counter elk tag. I mean, I didn't have the elk bug. Um, I had the mule deer bug. And you know, this is back in 12, 2012, I think, and <clears throat> killed a buck, I think on the third day, good buck, you know, nothing giant, like a 175, but big frame, he's just missing a G2 on one side, uh, three-point side in the yard, just beautiful, big, mature buck. Um, I, I remember every moment of that hunt, it was, it was amazing. The whole time I was hunting him, I was seeing him, and then a couple of really, if I look back now, it's like, you know, they're 300-inch type bulls, um, I just like, what the hell do I do with these? Things? I mean, they're, they're big. There's so many of them. There's like 50 of them in the group. They're all looking around at each other. You know, it's like, how do you sneak in on them? I was watching people call them, bump them back and forth. And so by the time I killed my buck, packed them out, uh, in for everybody out there, the first time you debone or quarter an animal, a buck, a mature buck that weighs between 250 and 350 pounds, and you pack that thing out eight miles. You will never forget that day. That is <laughs> that is pain. I'm a, I, you know, I used to be like five eleven and a half. I'm like five ten and a half now because of all the animals over the last twelve years. I swear to God, it's, <laughs> I don't care how you know. And I, mean, I, I use what I consider the best backpacks in the world. I did not have them then. Yeah. But they still 100 pounds on a great backpack is still 100 pounds in your back and it hurts. Oh yeah. But I remember hiking out and I'm still seeing out kind of like I got tagged. So I get back to the truck, and of course, just like it's the happiest moment ever. You put that bag full of meat in a rack, and all your gear on the tailgate. 
instantly I was like, I'm going back. I gotta go, I gotta go get me an elk. So I, I ran to meet the buddy's house and he had Peter, he told me, he's like, yeah, just bring your freezer over and plug it in. The very next day I got on that herd and I got, I, again, I'm hunting alone. I had a couple elk calls, but I, I mean, I, I sounded terrible. Um, <laughs> and I had no confidence in them, but I knew, but I know how to sneak up on animals. I mean, I've been doing it my whole life, you know, in different situations. So I, I basically just shadowed that herd until the first legal bull gave me a shot opportunity and um, shot him. And it's like, well, that they're pretty easy to kill actually that way that they're, you can get away with a lot more. You don't have to be quiet because everybody's making noise. There's rocks rolling around. There's, you know, they're, they're all spread out. Um, and that was the beginning. I mean, that was a, a little four by four that's actually right behind me on the wall. And he, uh, He's the only bull to this day that I've shot that wasn't a herd bull now. So the next year, uh, I did the same thing in Colorado. I shot a 205-inch buck, uh, and the next day shot a, a 330 bull. Jeez. So it was I, I escalated quickly, but from there, it was just like I never needed a reason to learn how to call. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I had 100 other people, that might have been different. Uh, I think the two, two-man two calling game or multiple people calling game is probably much more effective but they know exactly where that call is. The second you make a sound, and I mean, they know exactly what square foot of ground your feet are standing on. Uh, it's kind of like a turkey. You know, yeah. you, you call a turkey and you're in the Midwest and you, you turn around and you've left and not came and all of a sudden he's looking around literally where you were sitting. You can glass up a quarter mile away. He's, he's like, I heard it right here. Elk or maybe even better. Yeah. And I just never was forced to learn how to call. I, I have all the calls. I believe me, I try. It's, um, and, I, and a lot of times I do have a bugle tube with me i've gotten into shouting matches back and forth with bulls i think i've only shot one bull that was associated with any calling though it was always just stopping them for a call or even i've gotten to the point now you know that i don't even use a a call in my mouth usually i have one in my cheek then i forget about it and i just end up going Ooh, just making a noise in my mouth and they do the same thing they stop and look you know and um i try to get in their way you know and nowadays i'm being you know, I'm super selective now. I want to kill, you know, it's not the days of just trying to get in front of a mature elk or, or deer for that matter for me, or I'm trying to target, I, you know, I get to an area and I'm, and I dedicate a lot of time to scouting and finding the best animals in the area. And I focus in on them and that and them only. And once I usually find one that I really like, it's, I mean, I'll pass up other great giant animals. So for a lot of days too, right? You'll, you'll spend oh, like a hell of a lot of days to wait for that, yeah. that specific one. Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, last year's Nevada hunt was a prime example of me becoming, falling in love with an animal that I found the year before while I had a deer tag in the unit, giant bull, you know, like over 400 inches um, in an area where there wasn't a lot of elk. Like there was two other bulls in that this giant, you know, like mountain range, like a whole mountain range. I never saw a cow. And, uh, yeah, I fell in love with him enough to end up buying a landowner voucher last year and chasing after him. Looked for 28 days, never found him. Uh, found another bull that was, I instantly was like, yeah, you'll do. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he was well over four inches, you know, like beautiful. But someone blew, I had him patterned opening morning. Someone drove their truck right through where they were uh, getting water in the morning, and I never saw him again. So after 28 days, I moved my focus to where the majority of the elk are in that unit, and that night found another bull that was just like a once in a lifetime, you know, we wouldn't score as much, but, uh, I mean, ridiculous mass. Um, I mean like 15 inches around just below his in circumference around his G fours at the bottom, at the base of his main beam, 
or the base of his G4 and his main beam is 15 inches around. I mean, just ridiculous mass. And got in his way the next morning. I mean, it was just like, as soon as I found him, it's like, it's, it's on and you're dead. Um, but but so finding those animals is, is, that's half the game. Oh, right? yeah. For me, it's, it's, it's like a giant game of hide and seek. I used to yep. love it as a kid. I love it now. Yep. Um, and, and, and finding an old animal that, that I can, you know, and they're a lot smarter than the other ones. Um, the bull I, I killed in Colorado last year. Um, tell, can you tell me the full story on that one, on that Colorado yeah. one? Because I'm because I'm curious, and and it, I would I would just be curious to see how it compares to the style that I have currently, and how I can I'm, I want <clears throat> to incorporate a little bit more of what you're doing into what I'm doing, and maybe I already am, but I guess I'm I'm curious on that, and I feel like the you know mm-hmm. the full detailed story will probably tell me yep. a lot. So. It was, it, it was two years. So I found him in, uh, and this is the same unit that I shot that four by four. Uh, it was an over the counter tag in Colorado. I just, I fall in love with the unit. I go back whenever I can. I'll have it in my tag, my pocket again this year. I don't know if I'll have time for it, but that's how lucky I've been with the draws. But anyways, so I find this bull in 2020, which 2020 will go down as it was my worst season of all time. Um, uh, targeted this bull and, and there was one other one that was actually bigger than him, but they were both like, you know, for, for Colorado, those units, you can just go buy a tag for, if you can find a bull over 300 inches to target, that's great. And these ones were pushing 340 um, in 2020. And I, and I hunted them like I always had. I would, I would, um, I, I knew where he was living, the general area. I would get in there before dark, listen for bugles, follow the herd. He had a very distinct bugle. I mean, he sounded like he sounded like me. It was terrible. He was just like a super <laughs> high pitch, and with no finish, no start, and that's all he had. I never heard him make a different sound. Um, so I could actually get on him, but you know, you bump them once, they move, and it's like, and there's. Uh, so in 2020, I bet you, I probably only dedicated a week and a week to him, and I, I had one shot opportunity, and it, and it just didn't happen. There was cows in between us, and. Um, so going back into 2021, it completely changed how I was on. And this was a change for me too. And it's something that I'll use going forward. So instead of being in his area where I knew he lived before daylight and trying to shadow the herd, listen for bugles. Um, and you got to remember too, there's, there's other bow hunters and there's muzzler. Yeah. Um, so that there's a lot of people that, yeah, go ahead. I, get, I just, my question, I guess, from the year prior to get a little bit better idea of how you exactly we're chasing them the year prior so mm-hmm. you're kind of in the terrain features that you thought they were already going to be hanging out whether that's yes. like a, a flat bench or a, a big basin or something you're just hanging yep. out in that area you hear him and then you start just cutting distance and you're just sim- yep. simply cutting distance to that sound of the bugle yep no yep. visual living... necessarily no just no sound. pretty good pretty good thick timber good bedding area below the, the tree line above the tree line they would, they would feed in the mornings and evenings then they would drop down there where they bed it's like it would change every day mm-hmm. and you couldn't really you, you had to almost stumble upon them or hear them know where they're at there yep and without me being confident enough to call you know i was relying on them to keep each other going or uh sometimes you know other hunters would, would bugle them up um but it just it just if i felt like i was always two steps behind them like mm-hmm. i never like it was just going by chance and like, you know, and days would go by and I wouldn't hear him, wouldn't see him. Um, I'd come out and glass him up, like literally from the highway. 
I'm like, there he is. He's still there. So in 2021, every morning, I would climb up another mountain across from him and glassed across, three miles across, and find out where he was. I literally gave up my morning hunt every single day and watched him in his, like my first day I saw him last year, he probably had 40 cows. By the time I killed him, uh, I think 10 days later, he had like 70. Like he, he would, and there was no other herd, no other uh, satellites. He he would run the satellites like a half mile away and then go back to his cows, <laughs> which made me think, all right, he's gonna be good for calling or raking or something. So the first, so that, so it works. Like that first morning, I climb up that, I go, I go up on the other side. I, I find them. I watch them all morning until they bet. I, I shouldn't say bet now because they're in the timber, but I can see where they're filtering through, and I kind of know the general area. Now I've got a starting point. I mean, there's a there's a blob of orange over here, muzzleloader. There's a blob of orange over here, muzzleloader. I see two guys with bows up on top of, above tree line walking across. These guys are all surrounded, but they don't have a clue where he's at. They're all right. a half mile away from me. So I literally gave up my morning hunt just to find out. I hunted him like deer. Yeah. I, I, I basically bet him, even though I couldn't bet him. Yeah. And for the next 10 days, eight of those 10 days, I got within 100 yards. And the first day, I thought, he's that aggressive with those other satellites. And I raped the tree. And maybe it was just the cows, but they were like, uh-uh. They stood up, and it's just a you know stampede away from me. So the next day, I got in, and I tried just uh, a challenge view. I knew I was within 100 yards. tried that. Same thing. Got up and ran away. And so after like the second or third day, I... I I never I didn't make any more noise. And every day I would just get, you know, something would happen or, you know, you know, maybe I got close to the cows and everything was perfect. He just never came around that side of his herd to kind of check them before they got up and moved their feed in the evening. And it's like, well, it's over. Mm-hmm. Go back, try again the next morning. And the morning that I, or the, the day that I killed him, that morning I found him on the, I mean, and I'll preface this too. So he's not in a tight window. Like I'm going to this glassing point that I can see six miles lengthwise side to side, it's three miles away. I mean, that's just this giant swath. And some days he's at either extreme of that. And there's all these little pockets and there's slides in between, slides that keep hunters from crossing them. Yeah. Slides that don't keep out from crossing them. So he would move around to avoid pressure from you know all the muzzleloader hunters, all the other archery hunters, um, and probably me too, but you know, screwing him <laughs> up. Uh, even though I don't think he ever smoked. Um, but uh so eventually on that last day, I mean, I was almost ready to be like, well, I guess I found him seven out of, of 10 days. And all of a sudden I just barely caught him on the very, just almost over the edge of like what I can see. I just see him moving in the timber and, I, and it, he has very distinctive whale tails that curl down. I'm like, that's him. Oh my God. And he's right above the highway. So I hustle down there. I get up and I literally, like, I'm, I'm shutting the door quietly because I think he's like 500 yards straight up above. And I can hear him. He's a little whiny Google, he, and it's like, there's another, there's another bull up there. He's pissed. And I was able to get up there literally right behind, behind the satellite. And then, you know, I'm like 50 yards behind the satellite. He's looking over the hill and yet you know, the big bull's bugling at him. I don't even, the cows must've been over the edge. Cause I never saw them. I never, never actually saw my bull, but eventually they just went silent. The satellite just lost interest and he just wandered away. And I'm like, let's go see. So I went up the edge, couldn't hear him, couldn't see anything. It's thick. I didn't really want to just dive into this. So I went up, the thermals were already starting to come up. I got up above them, maybe a half mile. And I just sat there and waited. And I bet you I waited three hours just waiting for hopefully that satellite or somebody to, to, you know, bump them or, you know, piss them off, make them bugle just so I can get a pony on where they're at. And eventually I just, I gave up on it. Like I said, I'm not patient. And I just start picking my way through still hunting the, the start timber winds in my face. The directional and the thermal were both like, 
and go in the same direction. So I had a really solid wood. I knew it would be there until probably up to an hour and a half before dark. And it just eventually is like, oh, there's a cow, you know, 75 yards. And you just have stopped and watching her. And all of a sudden, oh, there's another one over here. You know, pretty soon I've got like, I can see like 10 cows. They're getting up, moving, bedding, rebedding, whatever. And they're, they're pretty much all below me and, and, you know, like a 200 degrees of distance. I mean, they're, they're all around me. I'm in the center of it. And I just sat down and I was watching, watching them just open and wait. There was no bull sounds, uh, no bugles. And then that little satellite was the key. He came up behind me. How he didn't smell me, I don't know. But I mean, like all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I, I think I was literally on Instagram posting a story of that little satellite. I'm like, ha ha, I'm sitting above my bull's herd and here's this little satellite. And he's just drooling and I'm licking his lips. He's looking at those cows. He knows he's going to get his ass kicked if he goes down there. <laughs> and he goes about 30 yards in front of me and lays down. He's just staring at these cows like, oh, I want to go play. And uh, it was probably about 3.30, 4 o'clock. And the, bulls, the, the cows start standing up and just stretching and they're feeding. They're, they're getting ready to start making their move to swing out to the open open basin. And he couldn't take it. And he just, he just tried it right down there to him. And that bull let out with a, his little whiny squeaker bugle. And the, the, the little satellite just took off. I don't know where he went, but I didn't give a shit. Those cows, as soon as that bull bugled, and there was a little commotion from that satellite, they kind of stopped there milling around. Like, okay, let's get to the open basin. You know, it's like they don't like the noise and the chaos in the timber. So they all started feeding around the corner. It's like one's gone, two's gone. I'm just waiting for that last cow to leave. Meanwhile, that bull had came up. And I can hear him just destroying a tree. I can't see him. <laughs> He's probably 80 to 120 yards away. And just, I mean, just branches are snapping. And you can hear him just grunting and, like, breathing hard. And when that last cow went around the corner, I just ran down the hill. I mean, I, not not safe kids. Don't run with a broad head on your boat. But I ran down the hill. <laughs> uh, got to, I, I when I first got to just see the, the shoulder, I verified it. was. I saw that the beam with the, with the, the big drop and I'm like, yep, that's him. The range of 48, shoot 42 is pretty steep. And that was it. Lights out. That's awesome. Um, but 10 days, yeah. <laughs> you know, eight days out of 10, I got with a hundred yards. And finally, he made a mistake and came to my side of the herd. That, that, that's pretty awesome. I think that's such a cool mixture of different styles right it's like you're you're doing the spotting from a distance which you know i've i've seen other people do it before but i think it's one of those things that gets easily overlooked is they are pretty huge animals and they are going to hit some openings and if you know how to position yourself within the terrain you can get a good visual now you're not going to be right in there with them but it kind of goes back to that you know i guess i i always say take the the approach that other hunters have and do something slightly different. One of the things that mm-hmm. for me in elk hunting is always thinking that you're, you're taking this idea that most hunters have where it's like, well, you can never chase an elk uphill. It's like, well, you can't keep up with an elk uphill, <laughs> but you can get over there within a day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Within the yeah. daylight hours. And I think that's a pretty cool strategy to kind of keep an eye on it from a distance. And it's, it's actually fairly similar to what we did last year um we were we hiked way into the spot and we got way up to the i mean we weren't seeing any elk sign and we went way up to the top of this mountain that i've been you know map scouting for a long time been eyeing it up for a while since since i started elk hunting and uh we got in there and we weren't really we weren't really having any issues with other hunters 
what we were doing was we'd just start up high in the morning and we would listen into these different drainages. So we'd kind of go over the top and just listen down through there. We'd generally locate and if one would respond, then we would just kind of hang out. We'd sit there till 10 o'clock in the morning just listening to them bugle. And it kind of just starts out with, you know, they're kind of roaming around and you can tell there's, you know, stuff going on, stuff moving around and eventually just gets to that one point where every time he bugles, it may be, but every 30 minutes at the end, but he's right in that one spot, and then mm-hmm. you move in there. And we've had the same, the same. Uh, we definitely had the same things happen the first, I guess, four or five days where, you know, you'd go in a little too hot maybe, and and give them a call that they didn't like, and the whole herd moves off. And we learned a lot from that. So when we ended up actually killing one of them, we played it much slower. Started with cow calls and actually bumped. A elk. I'm not sure which one we we bumped, but we were like pretty damn close to the bull that we'd been listening to all morning. And when when an elk started running, that's when we kind of got more aggressive with the call, bugled, and he bugled back. Well, while we're doing this, we call in another bull and shoot him at point blank, like literally shot him. I was filming it. I was four yards from the bull, and my buddy that shot oh, yeah. him, Jake, he was seven yards from the bull. So. Wow. Things went things went well, but you know it was, it was somewhat similar in the fact of just playing it slow, letting the, them do their thing, and then moving in. And I feel like that's a strategy that, you know, it, it, and it varies depending certainly on the unit, the and, and the habitat too, right? We're both talking yep. about Colorado. It's like hell if you're in Arizona, it's probably going to look a lot different, you know. So, it, you know, I look back at all the bulls I've killed. I can't think of many that were similar. Like every single situation, every single bull was was something different. Mm-hmm. They all kind of have the the same same like a uh, couple principles. You got to know where they're at, mm-hmm. um, and they have to be in a favorable you know position with the weather, with the terrain and the wind, to either a get in on them while they're bedded, or b get in their way where they where, where they already want to go. Yeah. Um, and it's been in like all the craziest different types of terrain. Um, different types of situations with cows, without cows, but it's, yeah, there's, they're, yeah, they're not deer. They're, <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they do act differently and they're, they're less predictable in my opinion. Um, I mean, I know what a big buck's going to do when I, when he's get better down with the dough. Yep. I mean, he's going to fight to the death for her. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, a, maybe a bull's like that, but I've, I've seen big bulls with, with a bunch of cows and, you get in tight and you, and, and maybe actually I do make a good sounding like challenge being all like, that was a good one. And he just gets up, walks away and leaves his cows. Like, Oh, what just happened? <laughs> that's, not to, that's not how it's supposed to work. Right. I, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm working, pro, I'm a work in progress on the, on the elk. I really, um, I mean, I've been enjoying it a lot more the last couple of years. I think I figured out a couple of things that have really helped me, but um, I'm, I mean, I'm learning new stuff every year. I don't know with all of it for that matter. Yep. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way with, with, you know, whitetails specifically. I actually have pretty limited mule deer hunting experience, but I'm going to start chipping away at that, you know, here as time goes on. Being a Colorado resident certainly helps that mm-hmm. um, in neighboring states as well. I'm, I'm excited about it. I hunted them in South Dakota last year too. Um, probably was a little bit too picky, but, um, you know, that that's happened sometimes. But oh, yeah. I uh, 
I've been learning so much about elk and I pay attention to, you know, what all, you know, any, anybody that's talking about it, I'm trying to pay attention to what they're doing and not necessarily trying to form an opinion or a, a style. This is what I like is I like forming my own style, kind of taking yeah. bits and pieces from everybody and just, you know, trying different stuff. And it is interesting how, um, how many different styles there are. I mean, I've hunted with guys that just only want to call. They only want to call yeah. and they want to just move through the dark timber trying to, you know, get something to respond. And I've had a lot of fun doing that. But at the same time, I feel like if I could ever get eyes on it, and, and we did one day last year, if you could ever get eyes on a bedded bull, it's like, like you said, they're not as, they're not as uh, skittish as a deer would be, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you can find them in that position, that'd be the, the ideal situation to me, but it's uh and- I think you just got to be flexible. I think you got to be able, ready to adapt to whatever you're given. I mean, way more than so with deer. Um, not and not just the animals, the terrain. You know, mm-hmm. um, you come into a basin that looks like it's just oh, just just a big bowl with with uh, timber, and then all of a sudden you get in there. There's like little hidden rock slides and, and cliffs inside the timber. It's like you know, it, things change fast when you're hunting elk. And I think just being able, to, you know, being capable of adapting. And being ready to put in work, like I, like, uh, man, do I ever wish that I started hunting elk when I was 18 years old? Because <laughs> I'm getting, yeah, you know, I'm getting up there in years now. It's like, not only just packing them out, but just, hunt. I mean, like what I did in Colorado took a lot of legwork to, mm-hmm. you know, up, down, back, forth, uh, you know, and you, when you see them at the far, far end of what you're, what you're glassing, you're like, okay, I guess we're going over there. It's going to be fun. Well, and I, I, I'm always curious too. And I know there's there's so many different levels of what this means, but when you're looking at, I guess let's let's take a step back. Like when I was deer hunting, even just six seven years ago, you know, I'd look at the map and and I'd be looking at some deep corner of public land somewhere, and you know there'd be hills between me and that spot, and you're looking, and it's like, dude, that's two and a half miles. Like that's gonna kick my ass. And then now. I look at this spot, you know, and it's down and back up in the mountains of Colorado at, you know, at a high elevation. And it's just like, all right, we can do that. It might take the end of the day, but like we can get there, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And in, in your perspective and scale just has to change with the animal that you're hunting. And a little bit of that comes down to um, just knowing that you can get there at some point. It doesn't have to be right now. It's like, yep. if they're over there, they're over there and they're going to be there, especially yeah. as you get later into the day. And that's, that's just something that I always feel like I try to recommend to people, but it's hard to understand. And, and, and if you don't have, um, if you, if you just start elk hunting and you've never been out in this country, you're going to be intimidated by it at first. You know, it's like, I actually have yeah. to go all the way over there, but you know, there, there's certain things that I like to do. Um, just simply like getting out in the summer and just covering miles, like just taking, just making a number seem insignificant, mm-hmm. you know, just, Hey, I'm going to just go, go for a run and it'd be, you know, 10 miles, just try yeah. to run up there to the top of that mountain as fast as I can and come back. And then maybe total 10 miles, but then that, that distance doesn't seem so far anymore. Yep. And, and no, you spend I, a bunch of time scouting, right? Oh yeah. And I, I always joke around with everybody that I, the, the hunting is just kind of the end of my scouting. The scouting is really what I, what, what, what 
that's what I planned my whole years around is hiking the hill the mountains with you know with with a backpack on no pressure mm-hmm. like I just, and, I, and and I'm I'm just now starting to film my hunts so, so I'm starting to feel like a different type of pressure but <laughs> in the past it's always been just like just me and my spine scope you know I'm digiscoping animals whatever that's the only camera I got yeah it's like just freedom you know just covering miles and you find you find this animal that's like does anyone else know he's here? Maybe not. Like, yeah. you know, and, and you, you know, that, that's, it's when I actually grabbed the weapon, in the, you know, the day before the season and we're packing in. It's like, that's when, that's when the pressure starts. And it's, it's business, right? It was fun before that. And now it's like, all right, we've got a plan together. And I'm, I should say, I say we, it's 99% of the time I'm by myself, but it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, we, it's you and your spotting scope. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. After 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 about sixty days alone hunting the mountains, I have several different people I'm talking to, and they're all me. This one's arguing with this one, and yeah, right. And, uh, it, it, it's funny. Uh, I think the first year I went out by myself for a good length of time, over forty days without coming home, and it's like at the end I was like, wow, I think I was talking to myself. And now, like, I'm driving out, I'm leaving the house, and I'm already talking to myself. Oh, dude, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I. I I'm the biggest culprit of talking to myself. It's I've actually embraced it at this point, and yeah. my buddies, my buddies definitely like the uh, goofy videos <laughs> I start sending them to to them as of me just rambling about whatever the hell I'm thinking about, or you know yeah. I get on a run talking to myself thinking something's funny, so then I start sharing. It. You know, it's just goofy. Yeah, but yeah, it's and I uh, I heard you talk about um, on Bo's podcast that how you laugh at the grind and like it it is interesting to me because I think to me when people talk about the grind being challenging I mean it's it's always physically going to be demanding and and you're going to have these you know something's going to be beat up and, and day in and day out there is some challenge to that but to me it's like I just want to do it so bad that it's not a grind like I would yeah. never, I, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing than, you know, busting my ass up these mountains, trying to look for animals. And, and, and it's just so addicting, I think. And, and it, there's nothing really else ever that's other than sports when I was younger that has got me so, you know, mm-hmm. interested in something and, and focused. And the other thing too, that, uh, you said that I've been, this is something I've been thinking about. So you said, I'm not a very patient person. But I don't believe that's true. I believe yeah. you just have a different type of patience than a tree stand hunter. Yeah, that's that's probably true. There are some things that, I mean, if I wait 30, 30 days or 28 days for one bull to, to materialize on a mountain range. Um, that's some patience. <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm allowed to move around during that time. Right, yes. right. I guess I probably should say I, I can't hold still. That's, that's probably that's more. It. That's more the problem. I'm not very the, good at that either. Oh, no, no. And, and that's perfect for a mountain. I mean, mm-hmm. there's lots of times when, you know, I, I, I would, who was I talking to? I was talking to Brady Miller, uh, mm-hmm. or, or listening to Brady Miller at the West Pines, uh Summit. And he was talking about he likes to travel at night. He likes to move camp at night. I've always, I, I've found some of my better bucks moving my camp during the day. And uh, it's like one of the things we did, you know, we didn't agree on, but. Like I literally, you know, if I'm not seeing what I want, I pick up camp and I move, but I, but I'm a, you know, being a Midwestie, I got Midwestie lungs. So I'm like, you know, and I got all kinds of gumption to go, but every like 50 yards I'm stopping and I'm not just going to sit there with my hands on my knees. I'm yeah. Yeah. So like literally 
pike glass, pike glass, pike glass. I mean, my binoculars come out of my pouch <laughs> 200 times a day, 300 times a day. I don't know. A yeah. lot. Maybe more. Maybe that's, I mean, I should you're probably pr- put pr- Yeah, you're probably, you're probably undershooting that, I'd say. Yeah. Be my guess. Probably put a little counter on that. So collect <laughs> yeah. those, but, like a baseball um, pitch counter on it. Yeah. <laughs> There's been all kinds of buffs that were like, I would have never found. Like they're in the goofiest little holes mm-hmm. in, in spots and book bucks and bulls. Um, if I had just been just covering ground and just getting to my spot and then, and then start like, this is yeah. where I pre-planned. This is where my, my point B is. Um, yeah. I think that's an advantage for Midwest is actually we, uh, our lungs can't, we can't just blow through country. We gotta stop and glass. <laughs> it's something though. Interesting that, uh, I, that's actually one of the things that I was going to ask as one of my, my, uh, questions that I had for you. And I've, I've I want to ask this to more people that hunt in the, the style that you and I do is what is your tendency? Is your tendency to get to a spot, sit there and just continue to, to, to like pick apart every little piece or are you moving a lot? Because it depends, I think situational, like if you know, there's a big buck been hanging in Mm -hmm. this particular area, you know, maybe I'd spend a little bit more time, but I'm like you, it seems like more times than not, when I actually just pick up and move, even when it almost feels like I shouldn't be, it's like, man, this looks good. There should be something here. Or, you know, I've been seeing some decent bucks. I feel like there's a good one in here, but then I actually make that move. Like the, mm-hmm. I, this whitetail, you can kind of see behind me right there. That was in North Dakota. And I had been watching this pretty nice buck. I was like, yeah, we'll probably, I'd probably make a stock on him if I know exactly where he's at. Well, then I'm like, ah, I'm bored. So I start walking down the ridge and then the guys that I was with were still sitting there at that same spot. Well, I start hitting it from different angles and then boom, I look right down and he's, I mean, he's just right there below us. And then it's like that, wait, that's the buck that (laughs) I want to chase. So, Uh you know, I would say I have sometimes a bad habit of sticking it out too long. And one thing I want to do this year is Mm -hmm. just move a little bit more. Would you say that's more your tendency? Yeah, I think when I'm scouting, uh, if I'm new to an area, and I, and I try not to, even if I'm not new to the area, I try not to get hung up where old bucks used to live. You know, guys will say, like, you know, they're like trout. You know, they, they find a hole in the stream. If you caught a big one there one time, a new one's going to move in. And that might be the case. I've never killed a buck in the same spot twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I mean even, like, basin. Uh, yeah. So I don't know that I put all that much into it. I think they have, they're, they're like us. and they, they just, one might like a little more shade, one likes rocks. Maybe there's better minerals over here that taste better to one. Whatever it is, I've never killed them in the same basin. Um, so even though I always go back and look at the old spots, I'm covering ground, covering ground. Once I find something, though, uh, if I believe they're there, God, I still remember uh, the first time I hunted Wyoming. Ex- like again, another accidental like bump in, run into like almost a 200-inch deer, uh, living three-quarters of a mile from my trailhead in Wyoming. And I, I mean, I, I, I got way too close. Like I was not, I, I literally just taken off my uh, base layer. I was like, ah, I put too much clothes on. I'm, just, I'm still fiddling with my backpack, trying to get everything settled in. Um, this is a long time ago. And I look up and there's two bucks feet midday. And I can, if I turn around, I can still see my truck. And I backed it. I tried to ease out of there. They still caught me a little bit, but I, I remember uh, I had just been, I just started writing for Rockslide the year before. And Robbie Denny. I was talk, kind of chatting with him and I told him about it. He's like, they're going to leave. They're going to stay there. Well, I went back there 
because because I, I, I pre-scouted that. Then I went to Colorado. Then I went back. And I was, a couple of days later, it's probably the fourth, fifth day of season. I told him, I said, I, I, there's guys out crawling all around this place. And there's no sign of the buck. He's like, there, he's there. He's there. And I was like, uh, I'm out. <laughs> I left. <laughs> and then someone else killed the buck. Uh, he was there. Uh, if I had listened, uh, I might have got him. But um, if I, maybe since then, I'll give it a little more time. Um, take the, you know, the Nevada Bowl last year. I mean, I was chasing a ghost for 28 days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I circled that whole range. I mean, like, who knows? You know, for 28 days, averaging anywhere, average is probably 12 miles, but anywhere from like 8 to 15 miles a day on my legs um, and, and plus some miles on a quad at where I could access different points. And never found it, but kept looking, kept looking, kept looking. And, but as far as sitting on one point, um, boy, you know, you know, if I'm scouting and I don't have previous intel of what's there, I'm going to give it, I'm going to try to give it one morning, one evening, mm-hmm. and then move. I figure, you know, and, and before the season starts, before any pressure has started, I feel like I can see everything that's there in one morning, one evening, or at least 99% of it. Yep. Once season started, depending on pressure, that could completely change. But they also, if, if there's enough pressure that they're not going to be coming out so you can see them, what are your odds of killing them? Right. So keep moving. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually, I would probably lean towards the more moves, uh, or move more often. I mean, um, there have been certain bucks in the past that were big enough that I was just like, I'm circling this mountain until I find it and I'm not leaving. And, um, it, my biggest buck came that way. Uh, my biggest mule deer. Um, he got bumped by, uh, a hiker, just a rec- uh, you know, a peak peak bagger, as you call him or whatever, and, yeah. uh, and uh, he disappeared for eight days. And I mean, I circled that entire mountain, looking at every single little basin and nook and cranny, and then eventually found him. Uh, only probably a mile and a half, two miles from where I had seen him before in the goofiest spot. And I wouldn't have seen him if he wasn't laying on a giant like slope of snow and ice that basically never melts. It was you know September, and it's still. You know, he's just laying out. He's like speck of like pepper on a, a thing with my binoculars. I put this spine scope up there. Everything zoomed in. And I've got video of it on my Instagram. Like everything zoomed in. Like the swirls like turned to 70. The spine scope is maxed out. And he's still like, but you could see it in this giant frame. And he was like, he's back. <laughs> and I found him. And two days later, I killed him. That's awesome. So it's, I think it, for me, Sitting, it's, it's a gut feel nowadays. And I, I, I know for sure there have been times in the past that I left too soon from that spot, from that uh, glassing point. And I know for sure there are times when I sat there too long. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know without the answer. Yeah. Like, well, there's, I yeah. think that's the, that's the fun part about it. And, and, you know, I feel like I talk to a lot of people and, and myself included, you know, we always have these questions, right? Like, you know, what, 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 what should I be doing in this situation? And, you're always those questions are never going to be fully answered but like you said you end up starting to go with your gut more and more and more and ever since i was a kid my dad my dad's famous line in my eyes is go with your gut and he's just mm-hmm. it couldn't be more right just go with your gut just if yeah. you're feeling something go do it and what's the worst that happens you know you you got to do something different tomorrow you know and i think yep. I think to me, if you're sitting there hemming and hawing about making a, a move, you might as well just go do it. And that can mean so many different things, but 
but that's exactly it. It, it, it depends on the situation. And if you feel yep. like, ah, there's no, there's nothing here that I want to chase, you know, maybe that move means to a completely different z- zone. Maybe it means go back to the truck and drive to a different location. Maybe yeah. it means, you know, and, and, and that's how, you know, sometimes that's hard to do, especially if you've committed some time to something or you maybe previously knew there was a buck in there from scouting or something, but it's like, there's a certain point where you got to just cut the loss and, um, yep. and actually that North Dakota buck is a good example of that. We had been hunting a different area and we'd had seen a nice buck, but it was like, ah, we just can't, we can't get him in here. We can't, we can't, we're never going to see him. It, it basically was too dense and we ended up targeting an area that we thought we was going to be more huntable for what we wanted to do. Spot one, going into a bedding area, really nail down where he was throughout the day and then go in on him. And that's exactly what happened. But this other buck that we had seen, he was going into a patch of ash trees that you'd never be able to see him. I mean, you may be able to narrow down where he was, but it was like, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the most effective way because you could sit on the outside of that and he can escape it 15 different spots and you're not going to necessarily be right there. So then we mm-hmm. made the move and it was a little bit, cha- you know, there's a part of you were like, ah, oh, we, we, we spent that more or evening in a morning, at least I think maybe two evenings in a morning. And when you p- commit that type of time to something and it's in season and you know, there's a good one in there and then you pull out, it's sometimes hard, but in this situation, yeah. it, it really paid off. So it's always, it's yeah. always just going with the gut, but you got to get the it's experience easy. to do that. It's easy to get. Uh, well, they call it paralysis by analysis. Um, yeah. And I think that a lot of guys, you know, they listen to all the podcasts, they're getting to sites like Rock, Rock, Rock Slide and learning and getting all this information and they get out there. It's just overwhelming. Yep. Like, you know, and first off, Google Earth lies. Like everything looks like you're like, holy crap, this is so much bigger than I thought. Like, <laughs> that's everybody's first thought. Oh, yeah. I've never met anybody that got there and it's like, oh, it's tiny. Google Earth made this so much bigger. <laughs> but so you get there, it's bigger. You're like, oh my God, can I actually make it over there? Should I, you know, should I wait for him to make a second bed? You know how many bucks I've killed in their first bed? Probably the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, if I think that I can get there, I'm doing it. Oh, like yeah. everybody says, not to do that. Um, I'm, I, there's a lot of booting class bucks that have died by my hands that would not have if I had waited for that second bed. Because mm-hmm. as soon as they get to make that second bed, they're moving in with their other buddies. Um, if you if you can get down to them within an hour, man, I, I'm... It is hard to tell guys to be like, be as aggressive as you can while still following three basic rules. Don't let them see you, smell you, or hear you. If you can do those three things, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Do it. Go. And just get down that mountain, get up that mountain, get across that base, whatever it is. Um, but, and that's kind of the way I look. Yeah, that, that's been very good to me, but it's hard for me to tell guys that. And I'm looking at the fear of their eyes, like, I'm not even sure, like, you know, <laughs> like, like the, does my rangefinder calculate, like, uh, the, the trajectory or the elevation? <laughs> it's like, oh, it was, uh, you know, yeah, start at the beginning here. But yeah. there's, it's, it's, yeah, I think I think people probably overthink it. Mm-hmm. I know I have a tendency to, you know, on the times where I look back on you, you mentioned 2020 would go down as your your worst uh, season. Mm-hmm. I think 2021 was for bow hunting. You know, I made a lot of decisions that 
you know, whether it was, you know, spending too much time in an area, whether it was being too picky, whether, you know, there's a, there's a whole list of things. Um, and then, and then I, I spent a bunch of time bow hunting in, in Ohio. And like I said, I don't hunt out of a tree stand and, and I was hunting all timber and, you know, you're not seeing deer day in and day out and you've been hunting out West and you're seeing deer then you really start to overthink things and it, and it just kind of got in my head a little bit. And I think that's ultimately what, if I could sum up the mistakes that I made, it's just, I was thinking about too much. It's just like, go just do it, man. Like I, uh, there's a buck I shot in Pennsylvania that I, I, in 2020, I ended up shooting him on day six of hunting in this particular area. I found a bunch of big sign and was excited about this area and I was bouncing around it, but I was just, I was just playing it too safe. I ended mm-hmm. up killing the buck right where I had pinned. I had pinned where I thought would be a good spot to be and where I thought would be a good chance a buck would be bedded. I killed him right beside that. He came from exactly where that pin was that I mm-hmm. pinned 10 days before I went there. Nice. And it's like, why did I not just go there, <laughs> you know, right away? Right. I was just like, just kind of, you know, playing it safe. And I, I when I look back on yep. hunts where I was playing it safe, I just... I, 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 that's the one thing I want to go back and change is like, how do I get more aggressive? Cause the years that I'm the most aggressive, I feel like, you know, you're not worrying about that second bed. You're not worrying about that. You know, the, mm-hmm. is the wind going to work right there? It's like, well, figure it out once you're down there and you cut some distance, you know, just keep being right. aggressive and keep pushing that. And at least that's what works for me. And, and it is tough to say that to everybody. Cause you know, every situation's a little bit different. So there's no written rule, but go with your gut, be aggressive and and tend things tend to work out. And that might be, you you struck on something there that, uh, you know, it's, it's us Eastern guys. It's us Midwesties that are going to the mountains now in, in, in in record numbers. Like believe me, I'd watch the draw. It's terrible. (laughs) You guys should just stay home and hunt hunt where you're living. Uh, but But, you know, our game, our game here in the Midwest, you know, I, I was a total scent freak. You know, I had everything in bags. I had, I mean, I would, you know, the knee-high boots. The, I, I, I used hip boots to go through tall grass to not leave a scent. I would, all these little details, I would just, I mean, fine-tooth comb everything into the finest detail. You know, save rut, stand, lift stand for the rut, save this for that. And then you go out west and you're like, and you, and you use those same, like, super careful, you don't, no, throw that shit away. Yeah, throw like, it far away. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to stink like hell, first off, so throw the set free thing away. Like, that's just a waste of time. Wind only. And, and thermals. And, and that's north, too. Midwest guys, like, unless you're hunting in, like, some really hilly stuff, like, you know, there's there's plenty that has it. But, I mean, you better learn your thermals. But, mm-hmm. but it's, but you've got to, I, I felt reckless coming from the Midwest with how aggressive I had to be in the mountains to make it work. Mm-hmm. Now I look back and I'm like, well, I wasn't even started with reckless then. Like this, like yeah. that was just, I was being pretty careful, but I think, I think we are us Eastern and Midwestern guys are way more calculated because that big buck, you know, might live on a 200 acre chunk and we don't ever know where he's at. You know, you can't, you can't get up on a high glassy knob and figure out this is what he's doing. You got to get in there somehow, whether it be cameras or, or you know, just with your eyes and figure out what his game is. And man, that's a delicate game. I've, I mean, those those guys who have done it before, I mean, they know exactly what I'm saying. Like that's that is really hard. It's not that hard to go out west, 
climb up a mountain. That's probably the hard part. Yep. Set your butt down, get your, you know, way better optics than you ever needed in the Midwest and just start <laughs> looking at stuff yep. and get your binoculars on a tripod. Another good tip. And you'd be like, Oh, there's bucks all over the place. There's all, all over the place. Now I just got to figure out how to get in tight and kill them. Mm-hmm. And if you sit there and, and start thinking, well, if I walk down that trail tomorrow, is he going to walk down that trail and smell me? Cause I didn't have my rubber boots. Uh, on. Yeah. I mean, you know, just yeah, uh, like, yeah. you could literally just like never leave that, that glass. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. I think, I think that's our detriment uh, as our attention to detail. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I've had a chance to hunt with a few guys out West that, you know, lived out West the whole life and hunted the whole life. And their mindset's completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's covering ground and, um, you know, just put the wind in your favor and let's go. Yeah. And I, th- I think that scale thing I was talking about earlier too plays into exactly that too, where when you're dealing with a 200 acre farm, for example, you, you land this permission or you, you know, this is place you've hunted forever and you're hunting whitetails on it and you're from, you know, Indiana and that's your, that's your perspective. That's your scale. Hmm. You can't, you know, if you're deer hunting it, you're probably not just going to be running across the whole thing back and forth, just, you know, covering a bunch of ground. You're, you're probably not going to do that because, like you said, it's delicate. You know, yep. you start leaving your scent in there two, three, four days in a row, especially all over the place. The sun's not coming back. He's getting out. And it's yep. like, on the other hand, you know, you you go out west and you've now got this entire mountain. Well, that entire mountain that's however many thousands of acres now that's your 200 acre property you know and, and like oh yeah and, and that's how the scale changes and, and that's hard until you go out and just start covering the ground and i i would really say one big tip for anybody is try to do some sort of hiking scouting something mm-hmm. go get perspective on it if you're going to go out west and yeah. hunt even if you're going to just go to like you know the western midwest you know where the trees start to end and you're going to go hunt whitetails or mule deers out out there it's like go just get some sort of perspective on what that looks like because you don't really know what you're used to doesn't look you know anything like what you're about to go into and especially when you start talking about the big mountain the rock big rocky mountains it's like yep you know makes a makes a big big scale change <laughs> oh yeah. yeah you're gonna you're gonna yeah things will change it's it's uh but once you once you've done it um like i said i have no desire to go back to the midwest <laughs> um i kill plenty of big white tails and if i look back like you know i piled up a bunch of 135 to 155 white tails in that decade that i chased around the midwest and maybe four or five bucks in the 160s mm-hmm. and since then since I moved out to Kansas and in the north, you know, eastern Montana and Nebraska, I haven't killed a buck under 160. Mm-hmm. And it's the game has changed. Like that's like, oh, not only is this like more fun, the bucks I'm killing better bucks because mm-hmm. I can be more selective because yep. I'm taking the game to them. Yep. It's so mountains or plains. Either way, it's uh, uh, yeah. The only thing keeping me in Michigan is. Is, is, a, is a, a business that allows me the free time to do what I do. Otherwise, my wife and I would be, yeah, we'd be out west. <laughs> I'm, l- I'm lucky that my girlfriend grew up here in Colorado, so that was my yes, that was my way to. And I, I actually, I've 
I've always known I wanted to come out here because my aunt and uncle moved out here when I was, and that's how I met her, but um, they moved out here when I was in high school, early high school. So my first trip to Colorado, I remember seeing deer, you know, being like, someday I got to live out here. <laughs> so now that I've accomplished this goal, next I just got to find a way to convince her to move to Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wyoming is very good to the residents. Yeah, that's that's the that's the thing making mm-hmm. me want to go there, but yep. we'll see. All right, yep. Tony. Well, hey, man, I I really appreciate you coming on and talking. I had a blast. So hopefully you. Yeah, did me too. too. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet, man. Well, keep in touch, and uh, yeah, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks.